Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, May 19th. In today's news, President Trump says he's taking hydroxychloroquine. Moderna's coronavirus vaccine shows encouraging early results, and a South Korean soccer team apologizes for using sex dolls to fill seats in an empty stadium. But first, the big idea. Whether it's the mall, restaurants, concerts, ballparks, or even drive-in movie theaters, Americans are making it clear they won't be ready to go out to their favorite destinations until they feel confident about being able to go. To the bathroom, that is. The idea of a return to life in public is unnerving enough for many people, but it turns out that one of the biggest obstacles to dining in a restaurant, renewing a doctor's appointment, or going back to the office is the prospect of having to use a public restroom, a tight, intimate, and germ-infested space. It's a hurdle vexing many business owners as they prepare to reopen in a time of social distancing, reduced capacity, and heightened anxiety about the very air we breathe. A Texas barbecue restaurant reopened only after hiring for a new job category, a bathroom monitor, who assures that people waiting their turn are spaced well apart. In Florida, malls are installing touch-free sinks and hand dryers in restrooms before opening their doors. McDonald's is requiring franchisees to clean their bathrooms every 30 minutes. Across the country, businesses are replacing blow dryers with paper towels decommissioning urinals that now seem too close together, and removing restroom doors to create airport-style no-touch entrances. In San Luis Obispo, California, the Sunset Drive-In movie theater held back from reopening, even though the health department gave it the green light, because the owner needed time to figure out how to address customer concerns about catching the contagion in the bathroom. The theater reopened over this weekend with extra employees to disinfect the bathrooms every 30 minutes and to limit how many people were standing in line. Solutions to people's anxieties might not be quite so simple. In fact, our polling shows that this is one of the biggest concerns people have about going back out. Public restrooms in our country generally have open toilet seats, no lids, and high-pressure flushes create a plume of droplets that extends at least six feet. And what I'm about to say is gross, but it's important. The coronavirus has been found in human waste up to a month after a victim has recovered from it. And remember, I told you last week about another study that found droplets from humans speaking can hang in the air for at least eight minutes. Makers of bathroom fixtures tell my colleague Mark Fisher that they've seen a surge of restaurant owners and workplace managers ordering thorough renovations of their bathrooms. This is a level of attention unusual in a country where many public restrooms haven't moved much higher in the design ladder than the stereotypically awful gas station bathroom. Going away in the future will be push-button soap dispensers and those high-velocity hand dryers that, when you think about it, blow germs across an entire bathroom. Coming to restrooms near you will be more copper fixtures, because copper has truly amazing antimicrobial properties, as well as dryers integrated into the sink so that you don't need to walk across the bathroom dripping water droplets from your hands all over the place, which could contain the coronavirus. But all this stuff costs money. And remember, you don't need a reminder, but we're careening into an economic depression. The bill for retooling a restroom can be $25,000 or more. 
McDonald's is leaving it to franchise owners to foot the bill for $718 touchless sinks and $310 sensor-activated towel dispensers. Quick fixes are likely to be cheaper. Watch for a return to paper towels, additional signage, and one-way foot traffic in and out. The closing of many public facilities already has posed a considerable hardship to essential workers such as delivery drivers and police and to homeless people who say the lack of access to toilets in stores, restaurants, and fire stations, public libraries, places like that, has made it difficult to get through the day. Truckers and food delivery drivers have filled social media with accounts of their fruitless search for open restrooms at their usual stops. Some restaurants, now limiting their business to takeout service, are banning delivery drivers from using their bathrooms, erecting walls of tables and chairs to keep people out. Some cities have put portable toilets on streets to serve homeless people who previously depended on restrooms in community centers and fast food restaurants. Seattle opened six hand-washing stations and 14 portable toilets near homeless encampments. And San Francisco is staffing public bathrooms at 49 locations where homeless people congregate. Outdoor venues might seem to be the easiest places to reopen, but whether they're sports stadiums, concert facilities, or parks, visitors still eventually need to go. A packed event and beer and soda sales inevitably lead to crowded bathrooms and long lines. So managers of such spaces are focusing on how to provide relief. The American Hiking Society has recommended that people limit their walks to places in their neighborhoods, in part to avoid having to stop to answer the call of nature. Bathrooms at many parks and beaches are still closed, and those that are open struggle with staffing and with maintaining a supply of toilet paper, which remains difficult to find in many places. And believe it or not, people are stealing toilet paper from bathrooms that have reopened. Some mayors have been talking about hiring guards to assure that toilet paper doesn't keep walking off the premises. For real. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, President Trump announced yesterday that he is taking the drug hydroxychloroquine as protection against the novel coronavirus, despite the lack of evidence that it prevents individuals from contracting the illness and dire warnings from physicians that it can have deadly side effects. The president said he began taking the anti-malarial drug about 10 days ago after he told the White House physician he would like to start taking it. That timing would put the start of Trump's drug regimen at roughly the same time as news broke that two White House staffers had tested positive for the virus. And the White House released a letter late last night from Trump's in-house doctor that linked his drug regimen to one of those cases. The FDA issued a safety alert on April 24th, warning that it had received reports that hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine could have serious side effects and that the drug should be taken under the close supervision of a doctor in a hospital setting or a clinical trial. Trump's decision to take the drug is just the latest example of him following his impulses rather than the advice of doctors and public health professionals during this pandemic. He has eschewed the recommendations of the CDC to wear a face covering when social distancing is not possible. He has repeatedly questioned the benefits of widespread testing, which public officials have called the key to mitigating the outbreak and allowing for the safe reopening of our economy. Clinical trials, academic research, and scientific analysis indicate that the danger of this drug is a significantly increased risk of death for certain kinds of patients, particularly those who are older and have heart problems. Speaker Nancy Pelosi, appearing last night on CNN, said Trump should not be taking the drug because, as she put it, he is, quote, morbidly obese. The drug has been approved to treat malaria, rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus. 
Unfortunately, Trump's past advocacy of the drug has led to a shortage among patients who rely on it to treat those illnesses. Number two, Moderna, the Massachusetts biotechnology company behind a leading effort to create a coronavirus vaccine, announced promising early results yesterday from its first human safety tests. The eagerly awaited data provide a first look at one of the eight vaccines worldwide that have begun human testing. The data have not been published in a scientific journal and peer-reviewed. This is only a preliminary step towards showing the experimental vaccine is safe and effective. But the company's stock, along with the Dow, soared on the report that eight participants who received low and medium doses of Moderna's vaccine had blood levels of the virus-fighting antibodies that were similar or greater than those in recovered COVID-19 patients. This suggests, but doesn't prove, that it triggers some level of immunity. Investors also found comfort yesterday in comments made by Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell during a 60 Minutes interview. He said the central bank is, quote, not out of ammunition by a long shot in its arsenal, even while he cautioned that recovery could stretch late into 2021. His comment came as most states have begun to ease restrictions on businesses and social activities after weeks of stay-at-home orders. This also helped the markets spike. That said, it's important to remember the official death toll from the coronavirus in America this morning is on track to surpass 90,000. Number three. Playing in empty stadiums, some teams have resorted to placing banners and cutouts of fans over empty seats, making a better backdrop for television and photos. The soccer team FC Seoul took it a step further by placing 30 mannequins around the stadium on Sunday. They were, however, female sex dolls. The life-size dolls wore face masks and were posed in a number of positions. Some even wore items that advertised adult websites. The team issued a statement of apology for what they said was a big misunderstanding. (laughs) Meanwhile, here on the home front, the governors of California, New York, and Texas announced yesterday their support for pro sports returning to their states as long as they're played safely and without fans. The three megastates are home to a combined two dozen franchises across the NFL, NBA, NHL, and MLB. None provided any certainty as to when or how the leagues will be able to resume operations. The leagues have been making tentative plans to return. Major League Baseball is discussing a return-to-play proposal with its players' union and has an eye on a possible resumption of training next month and a season beginning in early July, perhaps with teams playing in their home cities and stadiums but being grouped geographically for scheduling purposes in order to limit travel. The National Basketball Association has been exploring completing its season, perhaps by playing at a single site in Orlando or Las Vegas, And the National Hockey League has also been mulling scenarios to resume play so it can finish its season. The NFL, the National Football League, has the luxury of time, with its season not scheduled to begin until September. The league released a schedule for the full 2020 season and has said it hopes to play a complete and on-time season with teams in their home cities and stadiums, but they'll adjust if needed. The NFL has been contemplating contingency plans that include a delayed or shortened season, games in empty or partially filled stadiums, and games being relocated or rescheduled. All sports have been dealing with issues like access to testing, procedures for sanitizing facilities, and protocols to be followed if a player, coach, or team staffer tests positive. Leagues and owners also must work through economic considerations with unions and players based on a sharp decline in revenue. Some players have expressed reservations about returning to play, citing health concerns. The leagues still must plan for potentially shifting conditions as well, with 
health experts warning of a possible second wave of the virus in the fall and cautioning about the prospects of restrictions needing to be tightened if states reopen too soon. But other sports like professional golf, NASCAR, and the UFC have already begun to stage events. Bottom line, and this is good news, we will play ball again. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, May 19th. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Allison Michaels for filling in for me yesterday. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.